Shemai, Kroiso, and welcome to the CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket podcast. I'm Stephen Hedges. In this week's episode, we take a look back at the history of cricket in the Asian community in Cardiff from the 1970s to the present day. We'll hear about the state of cricket in the capital, as well as the development of the Cardiff Midweek League. Later in the episode, we'll try to throw some light on the difficulties facing those cricketers from the Asian community that have aspirations to play in the first-class game. We begin with Alan Rish Chivers talking to Riaz Anwar, a keen sportsman at school, Riaz grew up in Bradford, where there was a thriving cricketing tradition in the Asian community. He came to Cardiff via Bath University and quickly found that sporting opportunities were limited, so he set about establishing his own team, Albany Cricket Club. This interview is followed by another with Mohamed Rafan, who was one of the founder members of the Midweek Cricket League in South Wales. You came to Cardiff in 1977. What was the state of local cricket at that time? Um, well, I played a um, a lot of cricket up north, and um, when I came here, um, there wasn't you know the youngsters that were around here that we knew, family, friends, and all that. They just went to school, came home, did nothing much, and of course, I, me being a keen sportsman, um, decided to start a cricket club. So we we set off in 1977, gained membership to the Cardiff Midweek Cricket League. There were no, um, you know, there was a cricket league there, but there, there were no sort of um, Asian cricket teams at all. So we set up, sort of moved on and began to play cricket. So I've, I've mentioned the no Asian cricket teams. I'm, I'm not really looking, I wasn't really looking for a cricket team to build for Asians. I, I'm a sportsman. So I wanted to have a cricket team where, Kids could come along, and as it happens, I started it off with friends and that we knew, uh, youngsters mainly, you know, 12, 13, 14-year-olds, and um, it just happened because I'm Asian, you know, the, 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 the people I knew here when I first came was Asian, were Asian. But as, as we progressed along, um, uh, you know, one or two years, you know, uh, as people come along to matches, they see what's going on, and, and you know, particularly the youngsters might see teenagers, um you know, playing and so they'll sort of hover over and have a chat. And and I was just one of those that, yeah, if you want to play cricket, yeah, you can come and join us anytime. Uh, so that's how our, how our club developed. So this was Albany Cricket Club then, yeah? Yes. So can you tell me a little bit about how the club went from there then, how it developed? Well, um, most of the people were youngsters and I was um, in my sort of early 20s and we... we got everybody to chip in a fiver in those days, <laughs> bought a lot of stuff. And we bought some cricket stuff, joined the league, and, and we just uh, sort of, uh, the youngsters were trained, uh, those that didn't know. But cricket, it, it, yes, you've got to hold a bat in your hand and gradually you get used to um, faster bowling, etc. So we, we played in the league. Uh, I think there were four divisions at the time. And, yeah, we just enjoyed cricket uh, as such. We weren't absolutely serious people of winning trophies, uh, but the idea was to uh, develop the youngsters and get them to be sports orientated and have some interest uh, outside of school, uh, something to look forward to uh, in an evening when the summers came. That, that's how we progressed. One of the youngsters said, well, we need, you know, we should have an Asian team because there were some non-Asians in there, you know, a couple of uh, West Indian lads and, you know, local Welsh uh, youngsters as well. But, you know, like I said, the Albany Cricket Club's ethos 
has been from the beginning and always was that um, it's a cricket club uh, and anybody that wants to play cricket can join. So we gradually moved up uh, the divisions slowly uh, initially because I had uh, youngsters in the teams and um, then we, we just sort of grew and at, at one point we had uh, two teams. That's about it really. I mean, <laughs> we just played cricket. <laughs> You mentioned the social inclusion there, that all communities coming together. How important was that in a, in a community where you were living? Well, well, they weren't necessarily um, people from around where we lived, Roth. It was anybody that came along. Uh, you know, we played at Pont Cana, Land of Fields. So, you know, youngsters do hover along, see what's happening. Um, and, you know, they, they came from Grangetown, Canton, you know, basically anywhere in Cardiff, it wasn't a sort of a local community team. It was a sports team, you know. Um, yeah, that's all I can say is that it was a sports team. And, and for me, cricket is a sport and sport is available to everybody. For me, the community is where we live. You know, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be absolutely local. The community is anyone that comes along and wants to be part of you, part of the community. Communities are sort of... I, I, sometimes it's local, localized, but I don't look at community as localized. I look at community as anyone that wants to be part of um, uh, a social structure, inclusivity, that kind of stuff. Garden League was started in 1976 or 77. And what was the idea of the league when it was first established? Well, it's supposed to give uh, the youngsters some kind of cricket. All the big clubs were involved in that time. But the pitches weren't very good, so they pulled out up to 90s. Before that, it was everybody was playing cricket. All the clubs were playing cricket. What sort of teams are we talking about? Can you, can you tell me about some of the teams? Well, there used to be Cardiff CC, uh, Cardiff Buses, Top Cats. And then, uh, what you call, Albany was formed. So then I started to play for Albany. How is the league doing now? Is it still a strong league? First division is very strong. There's about five or six teams, very strong teams. But the rest of the division is just normal, ordinary, you can say ordinary, ordinary teams. Why do you think not many players have made it to the top level? We have, obviously, Premises Odia playing for Glamorgan, but why why don't more Asian cricketers break through? Well, what it is, we we introduced a, a lot of uh, uh, youngsters. We gave the youngsters to the Glamorgan CC. I think there's about five or six playing for Glamorgan. But not Glamorgan, you can say they play for Cardiff to go to Glamorgan. They went uh, through and they played Welsh, you know, Welsh League. Under 15, under 14, they used to play for them. You talk there about the strong teams in the Asian League. What What's made them strong? Why Why are they still going? They're going because a lot of them, they're bringing players from all over. They've been bringing since we, we started cricket uh, in midweek. That's the only strongest team uh, it is indeed. But they get players from some professional players as well. Some of the professional players were playing for them. 
what do you think are the barriers to Asian cricketers playing in the in the leagues, in the local leagues? The barrier is what you call. Uh, they don't look at us at uh, as a cricketers, but we are uh, uh, good cricketers. I mean, I can say I've seen a lot of cricketers which are good enough to play for uh, what you call not Gulmogan, but they can play for second, and they can go up. But uh, Colin Crafts told me that uh, when they go to 15, they just uh, disappear. Why do you think they disappear at that age? Well, when they go, they go to different things to do, isn't it? <laughs> so, so do you feel maybe more should be done to promote cricket to young Asian cricketers? Yeah, sure. There's plenty of uh, opportunities. I can see plenty of opportunities because uh, I've been running the clubs uh, since uh, 80s. So I know there are some good players, but I don't know why they're not uh, going through. There has been in recent months a lot of talk in cricket and sports circles about the underrepresentation of black and minority ethnic players in the ranks of those that play the game professionally. There are undoubtedly many different reasons for this, and a full discussion probably stands outside the scope of this podcast. But we can highlight the historical problems that players from the Asian communities have faced. Listen again to Riaz Anwar talk about his schoolboy experience and his thoughts on getting more Asian representation in the first-class game. Following that, hear Alan's interview with Imran Hassan of Newport Cricket Club, the leading wicket-taker for England under-15s against Australia in 2007, Imran was awarded the prestigious Sir John Hobbs Silver Jubilee Memorial Prize in the same year as the most outstanding under-16 schoolboy cricketer in the country. Previous winners had included Peter Roebuck, Mike Gatting, Chris Cowdery, Kim Barnett, Mike Atherton, Mark Ramprakash, and more recently, Sam Northeast and Dominic Sibley. His story highlights not only the great talent that exists in the Asian communities of Wales, but also some of the barriers that exist for these aspiring first-class cricketers. Uh, I'll just tell you a little bit about my sort of history. I mean, when I was at school, I was a really good cricketer, if I can be a bit um, uh, sort of pompous about it. I, I, I used to, um, even at 13, play, you know, not lots of, lots of runs. Anyway, so the, th- the thing is, I never got into my school team um, or my year team uh, until I was 15 and then I was a, a reserve so I would just sort of be a reserve most of the time um, and, and then one uh, when I was 16 doing my O-levels o- I was just coming out of an exam and, and the sixth form uh, teacher um, uh, he said oh Anwar is it your name I see in the paper every week I said yes sir he said you didn't tell me you could, you could play cricket I mean this is uh sort of school and I play cricket during the games periods and I'd be knocking them all over the place. But, you know, someone who is there uh, very close to you is not aware that you're a good cricketer, even though you play within the house teams, but you never get into the school team. Given that cricket has obviously been played in Asian communities in Cardiff all this time, does it surprise you then that it's taken so long for somebody to break through at the top level in Premier Sodia for Glamorgan? I don't know why people don't push through to the top. 
sometimes it's um, sort of, if, if you don't mind me saying so, um, subconscious discrimination. Still, we are living in some kind of discriminative society. We may not think we're living in that society. We've moved on. Personally, I think we're, we're still there, where subconsciously we will think, well, no, you know, they're, they're not going to make it because they're not strong enough or whatever. Sometimes it's a bit of both where the individual, i.e. sort of maybe Asian, doesn't actually prefer to go that bit extra and and go for the top. Although they are really good cricketers, they play for good clubs. But, you know, you need to keep going to build that standard. Um, And perhaps maybe they're not spotted. But I think it's just a matter of somebody looking for potential from Glamorgan's perspective um, that, you know, if they want to have inclusivity like I wanted, you know, as I started the club, um, they they would proactively go out and look for people with potential. I mean, it's a bit difficult because it has to be done on merit. So you can't just go out and say, well, we've got a 10% quarter of, you know, non-Indigenous people and uh, we've got an Asian in the camp or whatever. I, I don't like that kind of stuff. But, you know, you need to, the scouts need to go out and have a look at, you know, someone with potential and, and see if they can uh, let them uh, nurture their potential and, and, you know, let them build up their own opportunity. You need to look at a person's potential and, you know, let him go with it. And if they reach that high uh, sort of status, uh, yes, then they're likely to get into a team like Glamorgan. But I, I sometimes think it's not just Glamorgan, but counties have overseas players. So we're not saying it's discrimination, but then it may be subconscious. The fact is you can have homegrown talent. I mean, why aren't a lot of Asians in, into football? Uh, some of them are really good, but um, it, it's the same everywhere, really. I think it's the opportunity is lacking. So are you hopeful that more people from the Asian community will go on to represent Glamorgan and other counties in future? Um, I'm not actually because I, I don't really see an effort there to look for local uh, talent. You know, not necessarily Glamorgan go to say Bradford. I mean, why why shouldn't they go to Bradford? They, I'm sure they. Uh, it, when I was a youngster, forty odd years, fifty years ago, they um, there was a lot of cricket played there and a lot of talent. But I think you've really got to try and spot potential. And, and give an opportunity. Um, and as sometimes when you know the opportunity is lacking for these people, I think yeah, an extra effort needs to be made to look at someone and, you know, it might, might take a little bit longer. You don't have to sort of just go along and say, this guy's just hit a 50 or 350, so let, let's grab him. Yeah, see him for a bit longer, but you need to have an attitude, a positive, proactive attitude to ensure that everyone who has talent is given that opportunity. Um and during the cricket league in Cardiff, I saw lots of kids with potential, um, but you know, and none of them were sort of like uh, picked up with with the big uh, clubs like St Fagans, etc. Only until until later on, when you know people would take their kids to for coaching in St Fagans, and and then they see someone. So I think there needs to be a proactive attempt by clubs to go looking for talent. Um, uh, rather than waiting for talent to come to them. And I think Glamorgan, like any county, uh, they will go out and look for people. But, um, yeah, I don't know. 
I, I, I don't know where we, we can go. Um, we move forward, but I don't think we've moved forward enough. Imran, you are born in Pakistan. Was your family a cricket family? Yes, um, my uncle played cricket in, in Pakistan. He played first class level. Um, my dad always played, but not at the same level as my uncle did. But yeah, he always uh, was always in the genes. So then you, you came over to Wales at eight year old. Did, did you start playing cricket straight away when you came over? Yeah, um, I, yeah, I came here about when I was seven or eight. Um, I joined Newport Cricket Club when I was nine. From what I remember, yeah, so I ran straight into cricket at the age of nine. What sort of role did you play as, as a, a child then? Were you a batsman, bowler? Uh, when I first started, I was a seam bowler. Um, I was an opening bowler then when I first started. Um, but as I went on, I uh, wasn't growing much. So I decided to turn into um, a spinner and a batsman. So then at 14, Glamorgan picked you up and you joined the academy. Yeah, um, I was, yeah, I was fourteen. They had a junior cricket academy at that time, um, and uh, yeah, they picked me up well, mainly as a batsman then. Um, I used to bowl leg spin, but mainly as a batsman. So, what was it like joining Glamorgan at that age? It was brilliant. Uh, I mean, you know, when you're fourteen and then you're around all the, you know, all the professional cricketers, the professional environment, and it's surreal from the start because from a junior age group, you go into a professional environment. Um, it, it was it was amazing. Uh, I think I, I was lucky enough at that age to tra- uh, to train with the the first team as well. So it was brilliant. And they used to come and ask. Well, the coaches used to get me to bowl at them. It was a great experience. So, so what sort of cricketers were you playing alongside at that age in the academy? Well, when we when I first joined, we were in the junior academy. In the senior academy, it was uh, players like James Harris. And, um, yeah, they was quite good. You know, what I mean, Jane Harris was always somebody every youngster looked up to. Um, and then in the professional, uh, in the first team, there was people like Mark Wallace, Dean Koska, um, Gareth Rees, um, David Hemp. At the time, he was captain. Um, yeah, there was, you know, I mean, there was great players uh, at the time when Good Morgan when, when we joined. So then in 2007, you were voted the Outstanding Cricketer in the John Hobbs Memorial Award. The likes of Joe Root and Joss Butler were up for that award as well. That, that must have been huge for you, beating the, the likes of those types of cricketers as well at the time. Yeah, um, they were they were a year above me at the time, and uh, I played a year above for the England squad. And they were uh, they were my teammates, Jimmy Ben Stokes, Joe Root, and Joss Butler. And uh, I remember when I had a phone call to say that... Um, you won this award, say John Hobbs, and I didn't really know at the time. But when I sort of done my research and realised it was big, um, so yeah, I mean it, it was amazing. You know, I mean, it was all a stepping stone at the time. But like you said, when you look back now and you realise how actually big it was at the time. So you must have been expecting big things after winning this award, then as well. There's clearly a lot of promise there for you as a cricketer. Yeah, it was. I mean, everything was going well for me um, up until I was 16, yeah. Um, I remember getting called up, called into a room by Matthew Maynard at the time and Richard Alman took me in the room as well. And uh, Matthew Maynard said to me that we're happy with uh, your performances in the second team and uh, for the following year, we're going to offer you a, a summer deal. So, you know, it was, it was like a dream come true for any youngster. Um, that's what you work for. That's what you train for day in day out. Um, so being offered that, I was I was over the moon. Um, and then obviously the the when obviously I got to find out that I wasn't able to sign the contract. 
things just changed then from there. Can you tell me a little bit more about the problems that you had at that time? I understand it was a visa issue, yeah? Yeah. So what happened was, I, mean, I wasn't aware of this. So obviously when I went home, I spoke to my parents. I said, oh, I've just been offered my first profession contract. My Everybody was over the moon. Um, and then obviously one of the requirements with the registration was um, the British passport. And then my father took me to a side and he said, look, he said, Jimmy, we're still waiting for a decision from the home office. I said, what do you mean we're still waiting for the decision? He said, because, you know, uh, born in this country, um, came here when I was eight, eight or nine. Um, there's been a process which we've had to go through and we're still waiting for a decision. And I didn't quite get it at the time. I said, because obviously, you know, when you're 16, that's the last thing you think about because all you think about is just playing cricket and turning into a professional player and stuff like that. Um, and then when he told me then, it was just sort of, it was, you know I mean? It was a bit, it's a bit heartbreaking really because it was a contract in front of me, but I couldn't sign it uh, because of something which was out of my control. So I remember going back then, speaking to Richard Almond and said, look, these are the issues I've got. And I'm not able to sign the contract. Um, so, yeah, I mean, um, they were supportive at the time. I mean, I remember Richard ringing the other counties up as well to just try and get, um, so try and see what we, what the moment could do to try and fasten the protest. But, um, yeah, it was nothing, do you know what I mean? Morgan wrote some letters. Um, but Home Office is just, is just a very hard, very hard place. I mean, you, you know, they don't, you got to just follow the process. They literally don't. They don't care who send them letters and things like that. Um, it was just a process which we had to go through. Um, it was, it was an error from the solicitors which actually delayed the whole process. Um, and it took a long time, even after that date, for me to receive the British passport. So this was two thousand and eleven. You had to drop out of the Glamorgan Academy as a result. You went off and worked in your uncle's mobile phone shop. Yeah, uh, I took up a, a business opportunity at the time. Um, I went into a a couple of jobs after that I worked in call centers but I just knew it wasn't for me um, and then opportunity came along with the mobile phone business I took that up straight away and um, yeah so I mean I've just been involved in business since then So at what point did you kind of give up on your dream of being a cricketer? I kind of I mean I didn't really quite get until I was probably about 25 I would say 24 because um, I remember going back when I was 23, played a second team game against Surrey. I did quite well, but it was just, I remember going away from the game. For, I mean, when I was fielding, I remember thinking about it. And because I spent so far, so such a long time away from the game, it was just so hard for me to get back into it. I mean, being away for so long. And, uh, and even then, I was still waiting for my documents from the home office. So it was just, it was just all these thoughts in my head that, you know, am I going? Am I wasting even more time here? Am I going to waste another year here? And then I'm taking that away from my business. And I remember then speaking to Steve Walking, and I said, "Look, I said, Steve, I mean, you know, I mean, it's tough for me now. Um, it's a lot harder for me now than I was when I was 16, 17. Because when I went back, I was 23, 24. And then he he understood. He said, you know, that's fine, no problem. Um, and yeah, I mean, after that, I think I was away for one week. But after I come back from that week, I kind of made my mind up and said. You know, I think that's it really for me. In this time, you carried on playing for Newport, yeah? Yeah. So did your passion for cricket diminish at all during this period? I think what broke me was when I was 16 um, and then when I got, when I when when that news broke out to me, 
I think I was I was never the same um, from then. Uh, even though I tried, I always had that thing back in my head that you know still keep going, keep going. But it was never the same. Um, it had such a mental effect on me. The passion was there, but it was just it was that thing back in my head that you know I mean if I'm training all the time, if I'm taking what if still things don't work out. Um, it was just waiting, wait. It was just a waiting game. So obviously, at that time, you would have been the, the first British Asian to have played for Glamorgan as well, which obviously would have been a, a big thing for you. Are you surprised that so few British Asians have broken through into the first class game? Yeah, I mean, like, I mean, obviously, when I was growing up, that was a big thing that every coach said to me. Um, they said, "Oh, you, you you're going to be the first Asian player to play for Glamorgan, who grew up in the system." It's always a bit tougher for Asians. Because of the pressure they get from the family side of things and the culture change when you come into the the cricket environment, um, and it's only you know what I mean it's, it's not all the Asians who will adapt to it. So are you hopeful now that Prem is breaking through that there's there's finally a role model for Asians to come through in Wales? Yeah, I would I would love that. I would love to see a lot more Asians coming through the system because there is a lot of talent there, um, and I think yeah Prem will make a difference because. I mean, a lot of Asian things, is, it's, it's impossible. I mean, speaking to them, um, because I always, I like to speak to them. I say, what do you mean, why don't you push yourself a bit more? And there's always like, there's always that thing back of their head is that, well, no other Asians have made it. Um, so what makes, do you know what I mean? What makes you think that we're going to make it? And now with obviously Prem breaking through the system. And yeah, I think hopefully it should make a difference. Fingers crossed. That's it for this episode. Please contact us with any feedback or thoughts on this or any of the other episodes you've heard. We're still keen to hear from cricket clubs about a little bit of history that lives in your clubhouse for our club cricket slot, My Club, Our Story. If you want to be interviewed about your club, contact us at mwcpod1921 at gmail.com or find us on Facebook at CC4 Museum of Welsh Cricket or on Twitter at Welsh Cricket Pod. Thank you to our latest followers on Twitter. Clock Cricket Wales, Hugh Pritchard, Penadaran Country 11, Robin Varley, NorthWales.com, Mark O'Leary of the Western Storm, Rachel Mathias, Philip James Davis, Rachel Berry and Juan Dickinson, author of the Mindy Flyers, the world's most successful cycling club. Thanks to all our friends on Facebook too. Join us next week when we'll be speaking to two cricket fans who may well need no introduction, current First Minister of Wales Mark Drakeford and his predecessor Karen Jones. Join us for our Yes First Minister special next week. Bye for now. Goodbye.